I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show Stranger Things. Today we'll be covering the seventh episode from season one titled Chapter Seven, The Bathtub. Right. Gosh. Only one more after this one, Sean. One more after this one. Yeah, this is, yep. (laughs) Gosh, I don't know. Are you ready to talk about it? Uh, Like I said, I'm excited because, you know, after we get done with this, we'll be kicking right into season two. So I don't have that, like, big hangover like everybody else is, so... I'm yeah. pumped, I'm pumped to talk about it. Yeah, me too. All right, well, let's get started into our top five um, into this episode, and I'm gonna go first because ladies are first this go around anyway. Um, so I have my top five, but you know what? I didn't number them this time. I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm because I feel like it's 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 not fair to um, discriminate one over the other because there's so many great talking points. So I'm just gonna start talking about them, and I'm not gonna number them. But if we have to, if you want to think of it as my top five, I'm gonna start with the man himself, Hopper. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I just, I love this guy so much. I mean, I ha- I have a crush on this guy and not just like the character, but David Harbour himself. So, you know, if anyone out there knows him, hey, just saying, <laughs> find my information online and, uh, you know, hook us up because I-, I really like this guy. But Is it the, like the peppers, or what do they call it? The salt and pepper beard and kind of the 80s, you know, rough and tough guy. Yeah, I like it. I like it. He, you know, he's a, he seems to be like a man's man. He takes charge. He doesn't take a lot of crap. I just, I really love everything about him. I love that, you know, he's, he, you know, because I think he was a bit of an underdog, it seemed almost in the beginning, you know, because he was just like, oh, yeah, for you sure. Know, coffee and con- contemplation, you know, that whole thing. And he's, you know, completely yeah. hung over at his, at his trailer when we first meet him. It's just like, ugh, he's just phoning this job in. And like, listen, Lois, see- I'm just trying to get to retirement. <laughs> like, put in my 20, retire to my trailer, and drink myself to an early death. Exactly. So it's like to see when we were first introduced to him and to see where he is now. I'm just, I'm loving him so much. Um and you could really see how he's opened up a lot. Um, you know, how he's just kind of, you know, when he was first talking to Joyce when Will had disappeared and he's just kind of looking at her like, ugh, you know, and he's just like humoring her, you know, taking down, you know, this this information on this missing child and trying to keep her calm and stuff to now he's fully engaged in this whole conspiracy and whatever's happening, you know, with with Will and Eleven and this facility and the, this government 
um, operation that's going on right under their nose. And I really liked they were at the station, you know, because at the beginning they, they get to the station, uh, him and Joyce, after they had gotten that call on the radio that um, Mike and, or sorry, Jonathan and Nancy had been arrested, and or at least Jonathan had been arrested. And, you know, they find all of that stuff that the, oh, yeah. the monster... <laughs> monster hunting gear in the trunk and he puts it down on his desk and he's like do you want to explain this and he's like well you wouldn't believe me if well, i, I love, told you i love in that like jonathan kind of found like found some of his cojones he's like what were you doing in my car yeah hopper like you said he's that man's man he steps in, he's like are you sure that's the question you want to be asking right now <laughs> yes that was a really great moment yeah that's a really good point about jonathan it was really good to see you know, because we are starting to see some chops from him as well. We saw it a little bit. Um, was it the previous episode he got into a fight with Steve? Yeah, that's when D. him and Steve the D got um, in the fight. Yeah, so we got to see, you know, some of that come out. And then again, you know, with, with Hopper. And, I mean, that, you know, hey, to me, talking back to Hopper, I mean, he's like the chief. And he's kind of an, an intimidating presence, in my opinion anyway. Um, you know, that, that was, I think, took some cojones to say uh, to him. But I really liked it whenever he's like, you know, well, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. And he leans down. He's like, why don't you try me? You know, like, I'm open to this. You know, you don't know what I what I might believe. You don't know what I've seen. Uh, you know, like he was at the facility. They don't really know a lot about that stuff yet. So I, I really like that moment from him. Um, <laughs> whenever he was, whenever he showed up when the kids were hiding in the school bus and he takes out all those kids, all, yes. all those um, government agents and it's all off screen. He's just like, Hey, and you start hearing all this ruckus. Like you, you can hear punches being thrown. sounds like somebody got knocked in the head, you know, with a gun or something. Um, and it's, it's just, I, I loved how they didn't even have to show it. It was just that awesome. It's very much like a Batman fight scene. Like, you know, like you're the, the person that people have kidnapped you're in the closet and just all of a sudden you're hearing all the bad guys <laughs> scream and punches thrown and guys being like, where is he? I'm right here. Whack. <laughs> That's a really good Batman shot. <laughs> I, I, I've been working on it for a long time. You could do Batman dad. Where's the trigger? Where's the trigger? <laughs> That's really great. Oh my gosh, if you haven't seen those videos, I'm going to send them to you. Because, oh, Bat Dad's awesome. Yeah, he's he's awesome. You could do that. You need to do some of those with, with um, <laughs> your little one. Um, yeah, that it, it was like that. It was really cool. I mean, he's just su such a badass. It's like he's just knocking all these people out. Um, and I really also love that tough part of him, but I also really loved that reassurance that he was giving to both Jonathan and Joyce that he was going to find Will, that he just had this determination. He's grabbing them like by the shoulder. He's like, I'm going to find him. You know, this is, I'm going to do this. Like he has this determination. He's on this mission. So you, you got to see that tough guy side, which I really, really like, but you got to see that really human side of him as well, um, that he's really invested in what they're doing and he's going to do whatever it takes. And you saw during this episode, he really it went like above and beyond you know, he's already crossed the lines of his, um, you know, whatever the boundaries of being a cop are, what you can and can't do, and where you start to bend the law a little bit. I think we've already seen him go past that the past couple episodes, and he did it this one too. So I just, I love that dynamic with him. He just, to me, makes him so much more real as a person. So that's all I got on Hopper. I could go on and on about Hopper, so you better stop me while you can. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you make a good point. Like, when we first meet him, he's very kind of just, like I said, trying to put in his 20 in the small town, get to retirement. And, like, you could see this guy drinking himself to an early grave. Like, mm -hmm. you already see it right now. But now that this whole thing is going on with, you know, Joyce and, and Will and all them, 
it seems like it's given him purpose. Like he feels like he actually has a reason to live now because yeah. he wants to go and save this kid. It's and not the stolen gnomes in the small town anymore. There's exactly, yeah. something to bite into. Um, so I, th- I thought that was a really interesting point and just kind of cool to see him have that purpose. Yeah. Can't say enough about Hopper. Love him. Well, for my number five, I do have my numbered. Because um, I'm, okay. I'm kind of stuck to structures. <laughs> it's one of my faults. Um, it's probably a short one. It's probably my my second least favorite character. And I have a number in here that may change. This may be my least favorite character now. But it's our favorite, our maybe our unfavorite 80s dad, fucking Ted. Fucking Ted. So, you know, you see uh, Karen, uh, you know, Mike's mom and everything. Like, she's freaking out because, you know, there's this whole thing with Mike coming in being like, you know, did you, because this is basically the point where they found the government's coming. Right. And so they run out of the house and the government comes in right behind them and is talking with uh, Karen and Ted. And Karen's freaking out. She's like, well, why can't you tell me this bubble? Like being a very, you know, scared mom. Mm-hmm. And fucking Ted is just like, <laughs> well, it's the government. So, I mean, you know, they're on our side. And, you know, he's like, oh, our Mike with a girl, that's not possible. Yeah, like, it, he doesn't even know his kids. I mean, he might not be too far from the truth as far as, you know, oh, our Mike, you know, with a girl because they're awkward boys or whatever. But, I mean, really? <laughs> I don't think he knows his kids at all. No. But, and the other, so they're talking about this girl, too. It's like, okay, so there's this girl. Did you, did, is there a girl here? And he says, like, you know, if there's a girl here, we'd know it. It's like, Ted, if your kids were like graduating high school tomorrow, I don't think you'd even know that. Not no. let alone some kid, you know, hiding out in your house. But the thing that he gets stuck on, like his kids basically run off and they don't know where he is because, you know, he took off running. Uh-huh. And they're talking about this girl. It's like, oh, she's very dangerous, yada, yada, yada. And she has really short hair. And he's like, well, what happened to her hair? I knew you were going to say that. Fucking Ted, dude. That doesn't <laughs> This isn't the point of the conversation. I know. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Karen kind of gives him a look. Somebody yes. I thought gave him a look. I know I gave him a look. <laughs> <laughs> but like Ted feels like the dude you have in that like business meeting where like you've you figured or like he's probably multiple things that annoy me. He's probably the person in the meeting where you finally finalized everything. You're good. And he throws out like a, well, I don't know. I think something's wrong here. I don't know what, but something's wrong. Like, okay, what, (laughs) Ted? I don't know, but we'll have to think on this. Due date's tomorrow, Ted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Or he's the kid that, you know, right as the bell rings, raises his hands, be like, hey, teacher, um, I don't remember you giving us any homework. Um, Would you want to give us homework to take home? Mm, Everybody just looks at him. Everybody just looks at him and says, fucking Ted. Fucking Ted. So for my number five, the very concerned about what happened to the girl's hair, Ted. That's it's hilarious because I, I remember that that stuck out to me as well because I'm like, really? You know, your your son has ran out. There's something weird going on. These people have invaded your home. All this <laughs> craziness is going on. And you were sitting here asking questions about what happened to her hair. You know, th- of all the things that you could be asking questions about, because 
Karen was asking good questions. Oh, yeah. You know, because she's like, what is going on? What does this girl have to do with my son? You know, she's asking all of the right questions that you would like to think that you yourself would would think of. I mean, it's a stressful situation. There's probably some things you might forget to ask, but I feel like she's asking all the right questions. And, and, and here's Ted about the hair. Dude, let it go. It's, it's really a hang up. And what's really funny is, you know what I was thinking as, as I'm sitting there watching that, this whole interaction with them and with Ted and this whole government thing that was going on. Do you think Karen also thinks fucking Ted when she looks at him? She's, yeah, she's the lady that's, like, going to look back and be, like, 60, and Ted's going to, you know, be Ted, and he's going to be, like, on his deathbed, and last thing she's going to think is fucking Ted. Well, that, that's... That's that was one of my thoughts is, and I don't remember the exact scene and the exact interaction between them, but I know that she just kind of glanced at him in one scene and had this. She didn't really roll her eyes, but she definitely had this like whole exasperated look on her face, like oh, I'm so tired of dealing with you, yeah. fucking Ted. Well, so, I think it might have been the part. At least this was. I know she kind of scalded a little bit. Was when he was saying, "They're like, hey, it, you know, was there a, a girl hiding in the house?" He's like, "No, we would know." If there was a girl hiding in the house, and he looks at her, and he's like, w- "Wouldn't we?" Like, like he has no. <laughs> he still like, doesn't even know. Yeah, he's like all assertive. Like maybe that's a better. He's like the dude that's all assertive, and like, oh, I know all my stuff. Wait, do I know all my stuff? Like, right? You're he, like he needs that validation. Like he still doesn't know <laughs> shit because he's so completely disconnected. From green life. means go, right? <laughs> yes. Green means go, right? We go exactly. on green. Okay. Yeah, we go on green. Fucking. Fucking Ted, you're so right, so right. That's we're we're definitely on the same page with that one. Um, that's awesome. Then that that's really great. It kind of transcend transcends into my next one, my non number four, since I don't technically have these. <laughs> you <laughs> rebel, you. I'm gonna stick to this. Damn it, this is gonna happen. <laughs> Where are we, Remo? Are we in the upside down right now? <laughs> we might be. I think it's starting to weigh on me a little bit. It's starting to feed over onto me a little bit, and um, maybe that's maybe that's what's going on. But did you ha- before? Did you have anything else that you wanted to say about that before I? No, nope, that, that was about the only. That's the only thing I had on that still. Okay, awesome. Left. Well, that kind of goes into a little bit of my next one, which was Doctor Brenner. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say about him because I think we've talked a lot about him in um, previous episodes. And it's really hard to have too much to talk about him because he doesn't say a lot in, in these episodes. He's he's always just kind of there and he has that like that intense stare a lot. Um, so it's there's not a whole lot to say about him, but I think there is still a lot to say about him. And I really think, I mean, he really gave me the creepy crawlies as he, because you, you see that one woman and we've seen her multiple times. She was the one that shot uh, Benny in the first episode, pretending to be the social worker coming for Eleven. Um, and then she was the AV or pretending to be that AV club president was it the previous episode with, with Mr. Clark. Mm -hmm. Um, and now here she is. I'm not quite sure who she was posing this time. Um, but she looked all official and had badges and, and whatever talking to them. And she realizes, okay, Karen is not responding to me. She's going absolutely bananas here basically is what she's thinking. And she looks at Dr. Brenner like, you know, okay, yeah, you need to take over. So Dr. Brenner sits down and he just sits there and he, he all of a sudden he goes from this real intense look to this like it's like his face 
Matthew Modine, you know, I've, I've seen him in so many movies. He's been around, you know, if, if you watch anything from the 80s and then the 90s, he's been in lots of things. And so I think, you know, this just adds to his credit as an actor that he really had this subtle, I felt, change in his face where he was a super intense, like, you know, let's get the information that we need and get out of here to where he just had this, like, reassuring look on his face. Mm-hmm. Like, he's trying to connect with Karen because he realizes that she, he... He realizes he's got to calm her down to try to get the information that he wants. So he gets this like reassuring look on his face to try to connect with her and calm her down. And he has that calm tone to his voice. Like, I'm here to help you. You know, you can trust me. I'm here to help you. And you can kind of see how that changed a little bit, like with Karen. Like, but it was hard for me to tell if she, I think it came a, a little bit more clear later in the episode. Um, but in, at that point, I think when they're all sitting there at the table, um, it almost looked like Karen almost either really trusted him or she was really scared of him when she said that she, like when she agreed to trust him. What do you think on that? Yeah, it kind of, I don't know, what, I don't really know what what you would call it, but there's, there's something about, um, it's, I don't know if they're like sociopaths or psychopaths or what you call them, but it's that kind of person that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really want to say it in this way, but I mean, you think of like serial killers, like you, you, you know, some of the most famous ones, like people that got away from us, like, well, why'd you get in the car with him? Mm-hmm. It was like, well, he was just like, so convincing. Yeah. And that's what I get here is like, he's not, I don't feel like he's sincere. He's like, I don't really want to help you. I'm, I've got a means to an end kind of thing going on here. Yeah. But, and he doesn't come off as like a, a nice guy at all as he's doing this either. Like he's, like you said, he's kind of creepy with it and very assertive. Mm-hmm. And just with that kind of mindset and that kind of delivery of what he's doing to to Karen, she just kind of falls right into his trap and like, okay, well, you know, she's not really calm. She's kind of almost like duped into giving him the information that he wants. You know who he kind of reminds me of? And, and not specifically, I won't name like a specific one, but almost like a cult leader. Yeah, I could see that. You know, no, that's a very so, good point. Yeah, like so convincing, manipulative, where they try to get on someone's level to make that connection, so that person feels safe and comfortable with them. That's what I felt like he was doing. Maybe not as extreme as like a cult leader, but I feel he's almost that way with what because we know that he's been running some sort of secret projects, and you know, obviously he finds ways to you know to manipulate people into following him and doing what he wants, and he's in this role for a reason. Um, so I think that's kind of how he's got there. He has like some, maybe the same skills that, um, you know, he's able to relate to people and cause you could, you could kind of see it, but I didn't know if that was out of like, cause I thought, Oh my God, Karen, don't really trust him. You, you can't trust him. Yeah. You know, please don't do that. But I was like, well, is she, is she really trusting him? Cause you could kind of see that come over her face as well. Like where you could see that frantic parent mode, you know, um, to all of a sudden kind of like, okay, I feel better because this person's really trying to help me. I, I'll trust him. Um, or was she just like, oh, he's scaring the hell out of me. Like she could read what he was doing. She just read everything and was like scared of him. So, um, you know, I just, I, I find his character really fascinating and I, I really like how Matthew Modine is, is portraying him. And I think that, you know, just the, the subtleties in his performance is, is I think pretty awesome. He brings a lot to it. So didn't have too much to say about Dr. Brenner cause he doesn't have a whole lot of lines, but he's certainly a presence in the show, that's for sure. So that's that's my non-fourth one. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great, great uh, comparison. It's kind of like cult leader kind of thing. All right, so for my number four, uh, so this pains me to say, 
Um, and like I said, if, if at the end of this series I, I am on this guy's <laughs> side, it is going to hurt me. But So for my number four, I want to go with Steve the... D- All right, he's kind of growing on me. So it's, I knew it. <laughs> there's not much that he does. Like, it's very, very small pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's very impactful. Like, you know, they cut to him. They're at a convenience store. His buddy goes in and gets him some aspirins and a Coke. And, like, he's like, hey, you owe me a buck 25. Or maybe it was like 80 cents, too. It was like super cheap. And the friends are all making fun of Nancy. You know, it's like, oh, I bet this is what his face looks like when he's banging Nancy. And, like, he gets pissed. He's like, why don't you guys shut the fuck up? I, think he, I don't think he says that, but that would have been very impactful. Yeah. Um, we called him assholes. Yeah, like, he was pissed. And I, this is what's kind of interesting is his buddy, which isn't really his buddy now, gets right up in his face. And, uh, you know, you see him kind of back down. So I'm not sure if, if Steve backs down because he's already taken an ass whooping, so he's kind of sore. Or if he knows that this kid's, like, really crazy and will beat him. Like, he's going to hurt him if they fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wondered the same. Uh, but the the comparison I thought was interesting too is you know we kind of we've kind of seen this happen twice now with Lucas and Mike. You know those two were kind of button heads over a girl. It was kind of like Lucas was hurt that his best friends found a girl, and it kind of mm-hmm. seemed like this was the same thing. Steve's buddy was kind of like you know a little bit hurt. He's like, oh, you actually like a girl? That's you know you don't like me? Kind of that like bro love kind of thing. Yeah. But I mean, I love that he stood up for him. He leaves. He's like, well, screw you guys. I'm leaving. And, you know, he's got to do the romantic thing, right? He's got to break my heart even more. He goes and he asks the dude at the marquee, he's like, hey, can I help you out? Can I clean that for you? And, you know, we, we, and like I said, we don't see a ton of him from this episode. We just see him basically saying, screw these guys, these two that aren't my friends. And now I'm going to go here and clean up the mess they made. Yeah. Um, yeah, really good points. I, I found it interesting that you know, because his friends did have a point. Cause he's like, well, I should have stopped you, you know, because he's like, well, you didn't do anything to stop us, you know, as they're writing, you know, Nancy the slut buyers or whatever all over, apparently all over town. And, um, you know, and it's true, he wasn't doing anything, but, you know, he, he obviously regrets that decision. And, you know, he was taking up for her. And, and I think they were a little bit, his friends anyway, uh, were a little bit freaked out to see him care so much about a girl because it seems his reputation is, you know, love him and leave him, you know, yeah, he doesn't hang on to them too often. And it's all about a notch in his bedpost. And, you know, so I think that they, they were just not used to seeing him that way and kind of giving him crap about actually having feelings for someone when, which I thought was kind of hypocritical because it's like, well, you clearly have feelings for a girl because this is your steady girlfriend. This is not your, you know, side piece for a little while. This is actually your girlfriend, apparently, because someone referenced earlier in that. I don't know if it was Barb or if it was Nancy, but some, yeah, I think it was mentioned that they've been dating forever or, you know, they've been, I guess, doing it forever, um, which implies to me that they've been together for a while. So it's not like he's, you know, you know, picking up all kinds of girls. So I don't know what his problem is that, you know, Steve finds someone that he has, I guess, I guess my questioning, whether his feelings for Nancy, um, that I had asked in, um, maybe I don't know if it was last episode or the one before, um, I guess they are true. Um, I don't know if we can call this his redemption yet or not, but, um, yeah, I don't know. They're going to make us love Steve the D. What are we going to do? I think so. Yeah. I mean, hopefully maybe, you know, for Nancy's sake, you know, he's like, hey, I know you love John. Because this is this, this is what's going to break my heart is Jonathan's going to get his heart broken this. Because uh-huh. what happens? You know, the the cool dude comes in with the redemption story, makes him even hotter. And then he hooks up with the, the girl again. And 
you know, the ducky of the group is left by himself. <laughs> I think that we're going to see, uh, and I don't know anything about, I've, I've tried to stay pretty spoiler free uh, for next uh, season. So I can't, I don't know this. This is purely speculation on my part is um, maybe we'll see a little bit of a love triangle because, you know, she, she doesn't seem to be like she, it's like she wants to be with Steve. She likes Steve, but yet she's feeling conflicted about her feelings for Jonathan. I think she's lying to herself a little bit in this episode about her feelings for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. We might see, you know, and there's really not a whole lot of time to explore it because obviously they have bigger fish to fry with yeah. what's going on. But um, I think we're probably going to see a little bit of that. No time season. for love, Dr. Brenner. <laughs> <laughs> Got to pause. We got to figure out this love triangle stuff, and then we'll get back to this government conspiracy <laughs> thing. <laughs> so yeah, my number four is just kind of the Steve. I guess he's kind of all right and growing on me. Oh man! Oh, we should have had a bet or something going yeah. on to see if 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 you were gonna like be turned around or something by the end of the season. We should have had you know uh, I don't know. I needed to make you wear like a rival jersey or something for <laughs> one of our teams, and uh, I don't know, make you do something. Um, see who won this bet but i don't know i'm kind of with you i you know he was kind of the character we kind of love to hate a little bit so yeah anyway good number four so i'm going to my non number three uh, my next item is the kids and they're just their grouping and how they came together um back together during this um episode you know we see Lucas, that cold open, and I'll probably talk a little bit about that later in my notes. I think I have some notes on that. Um, but, you know, we know that Lucas in the previous episode, because they leave us hanging like every episode. You're always like, oh, shit, is it over already? I, I, I got to see what happens next because they always leave us hanging. You know, we saw Lucas at the facility and he's checking out trying to find the gate for himself. So he's hustling his ass, you know, trying to warn, uh, you know, the kids. And so we see They've they've reconvened after you know um, uh, Mike and um, Dustin have left their house and they take eleven. They meet up with Lucas. They're running from the government. They meet up at their I don't know if that's like a scrapyard. Didn't look big enough to be like a scrapyard. Just looks like you know some abandoned vehicles wherever this is. I don't know that it actually has a name that they call it anything, but it's where they kind of keep meeting up. And you see, I thought it was just the sweetest thing. Uh, you know, uh, Lucas apologizing to 11 and he's like you know i said that you were a traitor i was wrong i'm sorry i i love that so much about him that he was mature enough because these are still like young kids you know and it just i thought that was really awesome how he was like mature enough to say you know that he was wrong and you know 11 forgives him like immediately mike sticks out his hand he's like i'm sorry too you know i i really like how it's like they're so smart and how they're able to figure these things out all these science things but it's so easy to forget that they're just kids um so i I really like those moments and they had some really cute lines that really that really stuck with me mike when they're all um in a circle and lucas is kind of showing them the layout of the facility like here's the gate the fence goes all the way around here and right here's the facility or the building and they're they're talking back and forth, and Mike says, "We can't go home now. We're fugitives." <laughs> just, <laughs> just like, how do you know to even say that? I don't know if I would have known what a fugitive was when I was twelve or thirteen. <laughs> so it just really cracks me up. And then when they're in the bus, and um, 
um, Nancy and John, was it Nancy that was calling out to Mike on the walkie talkie? And yeah. then, um, Hop jumps on Hop, it. Hopper jumps on and Destin's in the background. It's Lando Calrissian. <laughs> it's Lando Calrissian. <laughs> that made me giggle. Oh my gosh. I laughed. He so said much. it like multiple times too. He's like, oh, he Lando, Clo- Lando, 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 Lando. <laughs> just. I was dying. I just absolutely love that kid. He just, he cracks me up. His paranoia, um, and he's just stressing out and pacing back and forth. He just really had me rolling. So I just really love these kids. I talk about it multiple times, but I mean, that's what the show is centered on are these kids. So I feel like that's why I keep bringing it up because I really love their relationship. We saw how close they were in the beginning, how they kind of separated a little bit, you know, and had some um, dissent there in the middle and, and, you know, kind of fighting. You mentioned earlier the jealousy between Lucas and Mike over Eleven. You know, Mike is kind of crushing on Eleven because we saw them almost kiss, right, in the cold oh, open. Oh, yeah, just about. It almost happened, and you're just like, oh, oh, oh. And, of course, it got interrupted. Yeah, um, so, that's how it you always know. happens. That's how my first kiss almost – I almost got – almost kissed <gasps> Susie B. Johnson in third grade, and teacher walked in the room and didn't get to kiss Susie B. Johnson. Oh man, I'm bummed for you. Yeah, you know wow. who she is. You know who she became an actress. You know what her name is now? What? Miley Kunis. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sean. <laughs> Be glad you're not in front of me right now. <laughs> you get a punch in the arm. <laughs> oh it's like you God. know Miley Kunis. You call her right now. You you totally have me going. I should know better. I should know better than to trust you with something like that. <laughs> oh, you had me. You totally had me. Well, that's too bad. I'm still bummed that your your kiss got interrupted, just like I was kind of <laughs> bummed. Uh, I don't know if I wanted it to happen or not, but, you know, it almost happened. So we saw the kids, you know, kind of, they were tight and they were together. You know, some bad stuff happened because Will disappeared. Then Eleven comes in the picture. They kind of separate a little bit, and you you see here in this episode, they all come back together and start working together and realize that together they're going to solve this, and that's how they're going to figure out what's going on and find Will. So that's that's mine, is is the kids and, and how cute they are, how I love their relationships with each other, how close they are, and genuine. It seems real, and it doesn't seem like a show. It seems like the, these kids, like you could be watching these kids like for real. Um, I thought it was absolutely adorable, um, and and the lines that they had. I thought they were just you know the Lando thing, and we can't go home now. We're fugitives. You know, line was adorable. Well, the thing that had me rolling too is they're running away. Dustin, like as he's riding his bike with his headset. First off, I love the headset. This is like, the I first know. time we got to see it. <laughs> and like every time he's like every time they cut to him, he's just like shit, 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 shit. <laughs> I know. I know he was so adorable. With that headset and had the walkie-talkies taped to the bike and <laughs> that was yeah that's pretty that's pretty genius. It is. These are some really smart kids. Yeah, I love them. So, what's your number three? All right. So, my number three, um, I've kind of titled it like "Finding the Truth." Uh, so, what we see a lot in this episode is kind of the coming together of everybody, you know, getting their knowledge together and everybody getting on the same page. So, we see you know Hop you know, learning from Jonathan and Nancy about the monster. So they're kind of finding the truth about this monster. They're starting to find the truth about the lab. 
you know, when they get the kids involved in it, they start to figure out, oh, well, this, there's this government thing. So they're starting to piece together that somehow the government's into it. And this Department of Energy has got part of this going on as well. We learn about, you know, somehow with other people, you know, the, the group getting together and sharing that knowledge, they learn, oh, this lab is building weapons. And so, like, that's the thing that triggered in my mind. I think you see it from, I think it was Hop, maybe, looks at L, or maybe it was uh, uh, Joyce. I can't remember for sure, but in that moment, you kind of realize, like, oh, crap, that, like, L's a weapon. Like, they're using this girl as a weapon because the boy that she broke his arm was in the host- it was in the police station complaining because um, his mom, like, went total, like, crazy mom, like, nobody touches my boy. My boy's an <laughs> angel. It's like, listen yeah. here, mama. Your kid was going to cut some teeth and stab somebody and make somebody jump off a cliff. So your boy is no angel. Exactly. But, I, you know, you start learning, like, oh, this is kind of interesting because, like, last episode we learned that Hop is like, maybe I'm chasing the wrong kid. And when that boy comes in, he he's finding the truth. He's finding that, oh, there's this girl with short hair that's running around here, and she's with, you know, the boys, the losers that that kid calls them. Mm-hmm. You know, and as we keep going, we learn, okay, it's kind of a little bit further down, but we learn about the upside down. So everybody's getting on the same page about what this upside down place is. Dustin does a great job of explaining it. <laughs> yes, his lovely um, pen drawing of the acrobat and the flea yeah. telling that story. <laughs> but, and then as we kind of keep discovering more and discovering more, we we learn about Barb and she's in the upside down. And is she alive or is she dead? I'm not sure. It didn't, didn't look very good for her. But that was, that's kind of just my number three is kind of all these like webs starting to come together and everybody starting to find out the truth. That's a really good point. And I noticed that as well. It's not on my list anywhere, but I certainly, you know, kind of thought about that as, as the episode, you know, from the beginning to the end. And you see, because Joyce and, and Hopper went on their, you know, a little mission and talked to Terry Ivers and was finding out about Brenner and these experiments and this missing child Jane and, you know, all of this information, you know, the boys are finding out pieces of information. It's like all these characters um, are finding things out. Nancy and Jonathan are, you know, they know that there's some creature. They're pretty sure that it has something to do with uh, Barb and Will being missing. Uh, she, goes into the upside down herself, you know, Nancy does. Um, so, and now it's like, now they're all coming together. They get to the police station and they, they see Jonathan and Nancy and they start talking to each other. That bully Troy is there, um, finding out about the girl and they're all, all these pieces. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. All these pieces are really coming together that now, now we can kind of take everything that we've learned. It's like everybody knows a little bit of something and when they put it all together, they're able to piece it together and come up with this plan. And I thought that was really cool. So what do you have for your non number two? Um, Well, that kind of goes into it a little bit more. My non number two um, is the bathtub. Oh, this is my number two. We've, we've, we've shared this number two. We've come together and we've (laughs) synced up, Sean. Which is more inappropriate than I meant it to be. We both shared a number two. Let's let's not ever say that again. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> I'm uh, for just for that. I'm still gonna go with my non number two. I'm just gonna keep it at that. <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, yeah, we've synced up. How awesome is that? We can talk about it together if you want, or we can talk about our different points. But 
I really, really, uh, you know, we see, I liked 11, you know, they, 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 they first try to communicate through the walkie talkie because we know that the kids, the boys took 11 to the school. They tried out Mr. Clark's, uh, what's that? A ham radio, I think is what it's called. And she was able to touch base with Will a little bit. So they try it through the walkie talkie and it was unsuccessful. Uh, she's in the, in the bathroom cleaning herself up and she's, she has this idea about the bath, bathtub, <clears throat> Uh, similar to what they were having her do at the facility. Um, so they, they, they come up with this idea. They realize, well, who knows how to do these things and who knows more about this stuff than anyone that they know, <laughs> Mr. Clark. I mean, oh, poor Mr. Clark. I'm telling you, if Mr. If, if if Hopper is not available, David Harbor, I'll take Mr. Clark. <laughs> He'll be. <laughs> I love him. He's such an adorable nerd. I can't help but just love him. Uh, I really like, like, we see him on the couch. He has a date. Oh, he does. Mr. Clark is trying to, you know, do what teachers do on Saturday nights. Yeah, but I'm like, you know, I don't know. Maybe, you know, I was a kid during this stuff, so I don't really know too much about, you know, what nerd life was like. I mean, I was a nerd, but I didn't really know that I was a nerd, and I wasn't, like, nerd friends with a bunch of nerds, so it's like, I didn't know that I was a nerd, but I was a total nerd. And, but I didn't know about adult nerds. But to me, you know, adult nerds always seemed like they weren't getting dates, just like high school nerds weren't getting dates. So I just assumed Mr. Clark was probably not getting dates, but his date was pretty hot. Yeah, she I was not say. bad looking. Yeah, she was pretty hot. And he had a he had a scary movie playing. Did you see what movie they were watching? It was The Thing. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, that I was like, yes. Because um, that's one of my favorite scary movies of all time. And that was actually one of my favorite scenes of all time. Mm. Um, and I'm really horrible. I haven't seen the movie in a little while, so I'm really horrible with the character names. So I don't remember that character's name, but I remember that scene. It was always one of my favorite scenes when when that dude, he, he just starts his body just ripping apart. And that thing just starts, like, forming, you know, coming up out of his body. And it, it cracked me up when he's talking about how they recreated that scene as his, like, head and neck is, like, stretching <laughs> down off that table onto the floor. And he's like, hey, do you know how they do that? Melt the plastic and microwave bubble gum. <laughs> I'm like, are and you she's just like, nerding? Oh, I was like, Mr. He, Clark. Mr. Clark. I didn't know if he was doing that. Like if he told her that, did he say that to impress her or just to, because she seemed really scared and freaked out. So was he trying to just like, oh, it's not real. If they did this with, here's the effects that they used, you know, they, they, it's all just plastic and bubble gum. So Probably, I don't know yeah, if he was more just, of a comforting. You know, I was like, I didn't know if he was impressing her or if he's just trying to, like, because she seemed so scared. It's like, oh, don't be scared. This is all it was, you know. Um, but I thought it was absolutely adorable. So we've got Mr. Clark. It's 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. He gets this random phone call from Destin. Um, he's like, what do you know about deprivation tanks? And he's like, <laughs> and he's like, what? And, you know, he's like, can we talk about this on Monday? It's 10 o'clock on a Saturday. You know, he's got this hot date. You know, he's he's reeling her in. Yeah, you know he's trying to get some action. I mean, that's yeah. just what Mr. Clark's doing. Uh, well, he, I yeah, I think so. I think Mr. Cl I think he's a stud. I think he's got it going on. So I'll give it to him. <laughs> he's I'll got that it mustache. Him. It was the '80s. Mustaches were awesome. So the porn stash, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> he's got it going on. I really like him. Um, so he's like, he's like, he, and of course he can't tell the kids like I've got this date. You're, you know, you're cock blocking me, kid. <laughs> you know, he can't, he can't say that to these 
children. That would, this, again, this is why I can't write this stuff because that's why I'd say, listen here, you little pecker. You're cock blocking me. <laughs> yes. You can't say that to a child. And of course, you know, Dustin made a good point. He's like, you know, you're always asking us to question curiosity and question these things. Why are you keeping this curiosity door locked? You know, uh, so he, he demands to know about these deprivation tanks. He finally gets it out of him, gives him all this information, you know, so they, you know, are coming up, up with the means to recreate this bath for Eleven so she's able to uh, go back to the Upside Down, hopefully communicate with Will, figure out where he's at. I really love how they all, you know, kind of came together to, to do this. I at first wondered why, like, the only thing that really kind of bothered me about the the episode, because I I know I talk it up a lot, and I'm always, like, a big cheerleader for this show, and I hate to, you know, um, always be, you know, um, so positive about it, because I feel like there, it's no show is perfect. Um, but the one thing that bothered me about this was, why did they do it at the middle school? Was it because the salt was there? I think, yeah, that would be my guess, is that's the only place they could find all the salt. And just what seemed convenient to, like, well, this is where the salt is, and... Because, I mean, that makes sense, because otherwise they'd have to load everything up and take it somewhere else, but, you know, they're already there, they already have the salt, and it didn't seem like they even had, um, it down to a science, because, you know, they were testing it out, and it seemed like it took a couple efforts and a couple different amounts of salt to be like oh okay now we have the buoyancy right with the little eggs taken to see how they were floating so that was the only thing that kind of bugged me because it wasn't like oh you know this big plan like we're gonna meet at the middle school or you know (laughs) like this is it was just like this was just known like we're gonna go to the middle school this is where the salt is this is where we're gonna have the space because it it was a kiddie pool but it was a good sized kiddie pool i don't think they could have done that in joyce's living room they certainly weren't gonna do it in hopper's living room or you know in his trailer or whatever where they were at so i guess it kind of made sense the only other reason they might have used the pool too is because I saw Lucas like testing the temperature and I'm not sure if that was just to make it comfortable for L or if there was a specific temperature they needed, mm-hmm. but they were shifting between cold and hot a lot Yeah, because I was, I was like, well, why the heck are they hooking up two faucets? But she kept shifting hot and cold and the school probably has like a big boiler. So mm-hmm. it probably has enough hot water to fill that up to make it comfortable. Whereas if you go to somebody's house, it's going to be straight tap water. And That's true, straight up cold. It well, is because like, it had to dissolve the salt. I mean, yeah. because the salt oh, yeah, I think yeah. has to, you know, kind of dissolve a little bit. It's not going to. It's going to take longer to dissolve in cold water. And, and the be other, freezing for eleven. The other thing too to remember is this: it's like November, December. So yeah. if they go outside, it's going to be freezing cold. So they kind of maybe that was just kind of the biggest open space that was warm enough. Yeah, I mean that totally makes sense, and I mean Hopper has, I guess, the access to to all this, and it just, it was just like it wasn't explained very well, I guess, to me. And I guess not everything has to be so laid out and perfect. Um, like I don't need it explained to me exactly how they were. I mean, it was pretty simple how they were doing this, but obviously we didn't have the details as to, you know, he's like we need fifteen hundred pounds of salt, but we didn't see that they actually used that much salt because we saw them testing it and then adding more salt and look like there were still some bags of salt left. We didn't see like, we don't know the exact calculations. We didn't know the exact, I don't need to know all that stuff. Um, and, and like you said, the temperature of the water, I don't know if it was a certain science, like, well, it needs to be this much. I don't know if it was just based on 11 being comfortable because she's going to have to be in it. And obviously we don't want to put her in some freezing cold water. I also think, you know, because the salt was going to have to dissolve a little bit, um, it would take longer in cold water. So it probably need to be at least tepid. But, um, so yeah, maybe that's it. I just thought it was just, I was like, well, they didn't really, why are, why are they at the middle school? Is it just, is it convenient? Um, or whatever. But 
Um, I thought that that whole thing was really interesting. I really loved the interaction between Joyce and Eleven. Yes, I made a specific note about that. Yeah, I just thought that was wonderful because Eleven, that girl just breaks my heart how this girl was raised and the conditions that she was raised. It's like she's an object and not a person. And, you know, Joyce is speaking to her and, and she's making like those goggles so she can, you know, like, you know, not have anything distracting her as far as her sight. And, you know, that she's talking to her and she's reassuring her. And it was so sweet to see her reach out and be like a mother to her. Cause you know, yes. 11 didn't have uh-huh. that at all. I mean, she had Papa who wasn't like a true father to her. And she likes she was treated more like an object than a real person. And I just thought it was so sweet that Joyce reached out to her and was able to connect with her and reassure her. And she's like, you know, if any time that this, that you're scared or that you want to stop, you know, you can, you know, it doesn't, you know, cause she didn't want her to, you know, feel like she was doing or asking her to do more than what she was capable mm-hmm. of doing. Um, and I just thought that was so sweet and that she was help, you know, thanking her for searching for Will when she, when 11 was in the upside down and she got really, really scared. Cause we see Barb. I think, I think yeah. it's not mean good things for Barb. I think something came see- out of her mouth that was kind of <laughs> squiggly. Yeah. She, she looked dead for a while. So I think it's probably <laughs> safe to say that we know what happened to Barb and it was not good. We, we may not know the exact details of her death, but we saw what that creature can do. Um, did not bode well for Barb, but we saw how scared she was when she came across Barb and she's screaming, gone, gone, gone. Um, and you can hear Joyce, her voice kind of coming across the upside down and reassuring her and how she's, you know, kind of holding her a little bit and while she's in the tub and letting her know she's here, it's okay, I'm here with you. You know, you're not alone. And how then she was able to kind of gather herself and continue on her search and find Will um, and, and kind of figure out where he's at. I just, I love that whole whole sequence and that whole trip into the upside down. We did get to see Will, you know, hiding. Uh, she was able to make a connection with him and, and that come across. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to see where that comes um, next. But I just, I love that whole thing, the whole bathtub, the whole sequence, the interaction between all the characters. We saw uh, Nancy and Mike having their little, you know, heart to heart where they <laughs> promise not to lie to each other anymore, but then they turn around and they lie to each other. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought it was each, you know, characters kind of paired off that haven't got to see each other very much, kind of paired off a little bit and had their own interactions and just some really beautiful touching moments. Um, that I thought, and then some funny moments with Mr. Clark and, and that whole thing. So what are your points on that one? I know that was also your number two. What, yeah, what so this, did you this is say? my number two as well. And I kind of felt like you're talking about where Joyce is, you know, very much motherly. And she's saying almost the exact same things that Papa was saying to her. I think, um, I don't remember mm-hmm. if it's word for word, but you know, like, Hey, I'll be here. You know, I'll, you know, I'll be there the whole time. If you get scared, let me know. But, like, when they locked her up in the the bathtub, like, it was completely closed off. They couldn't see her. So they weren't really there. Mm-hmm. But with this, you felt like Joyce was actually there helping her. And I kind of feel like Joyce actually kind of helped her get some power. Because, you know, there's the part where she starts hearing. I think she was hearing the monster or something was scaring her. Because, oh, no, she saw Barb, so she was freaking out. And Joyce was reassuring her again. I felt like that's when she kind of got her second <clears throat> wind. And she kind of got under control inside the upside down. Mm-hmm. Like she was able to focus and maybe harness what power she has to. Yeah, exactly. 
Do you think that Joyce being there with her, she was able to tune into Will a little bit, like that con- that mother-son connection? That's a good question. I don't know if it was so much – maybe. Um, I guess I was kind of thinking of it more as um, uh, Eleven having Joyce there for her more than Joyce mm-hmm. being the connection to Will. Right. Just because, like, you know, she's – like, I think the only thing she's ever really truly felt like she – like somebody cared that somebody loved her was with Mike. Mm-hmm. But with Joyce, it was very much like, I care as much about you as I do my own son in this situation. Like, I want you to be safe. I kind of felt like maybe that gave her power, but there could have been some more like motherly um, mysticalism type stuff going on there with uh, Joyce and uh, Joyce and Mike. That would make or Joyce and Will. That would make sense. Right. And I don't know. I literally just was thinking of that as you were talking about it um, when you were talking about Joyce and Eleven and how she was able to like calm her and center her because she was freaking out over finding Barb. And she was obviously very upset and scared and, you know, Joyce reaching out to her and letting her know it's okay. I'm here. You're safe. You know, it's okay. And that she was able to, to, you know, let her calm down and she was able to refocus and, and then, you know, continue on her search. Mm. Um, so I think that that, that did have a lot to do with it, but it just, as you were saying that, I was like, well, I wonder if there was anything to do with that. But I think that she was there a lot for 11 and there was, that is what helped her. I think it could probably go both ways, but it just made me wonder if there was, if she was able to feed off of that connection with Joyce and Will and the mother son connection that they have and that helped her. I think it could have been a combination of both. If, if that was even, but yeah, that wasn't in my notes, but I think that makes sense. Like whenever you think about psychics, psychics usually will have to hold on to something that meant a lot to a person. And so that's kind of that same thing there, I think. Yeah. Um, and probably having everyone there because everyone, I mean, Joyce was there and she was the one like touching her and comforting her. I think Hopper even might've had a hand on her shoulder at one point to try and help let her know that she wasn't alone. He wasn't speaking, but I think he was like just touching her shoulder as reassurance. But then it had to be maybe also the, the energy of the group. Because everybody was in a circle around mm, the pool yeah. as Eleven's there. And I just wonder if that helped, you know, because everybody had the focus of finding Will, finding Barb. Maybe Nancy was the only one that cared about Barb. <laughs> she was the only <laughs> Maybe. one that mentioned her, seemed to care about us, looking at Will and thinking, oh, well, if we find Barb, that's a bonus. That's um, <laughs> what so it seemed like. We forgot about Barb when she, you know, fell off that... Um, uh, pool uh, diving board, um, but um, <laughs> but maybe maybe that's what kind of helped her a little bit focus and you know be able to find him was because of the the energy from everyone else and the focus of wanting to find him that this is something that everybody really wants to happen that she was able to maybe tune into that or maybe feed off of their energy a little bit I don't know just I'm I'm throwing shit out there <laughs> no I think sense, it makes but... sense yeah <clears throat> anyway. um. I had a so the the cool the the other funny pieces of the Mister Clark uh, uh, phone call mm-hmm. is when he asks him like well what do you want to do a sensory deprivation chamber for and Dustin just replies <laughs> like well we want to build one for fun for fun <laughs> yeah. and you know so Mister Clark gives him this whole spiel about how to do this and right at the end he just says you know okay well be careful <laughs> I know it those are kind I, of funny little pieces there from Mister Clark poor Mister Clark. Yeah. I hope we get to see more of him in the next season. <clears throat> I hope, like, yeah, I hope the next episode opens up with him, like, his, he's, you know, his shirt's all tore off because his date was like, oh, my gosh, you're, you know, you care for the kids. You're such a great teacher. Let me, uh. Such a turn on. <laughs> yeah, such a turn on. That mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Do and you wax uh... that? <laughs> <laughs> You've seen Super Troopers, right? 
No. I oh, haven't. you haven't seen Super Troopers? <laughs> there's a I so there's a part where there's a they there's a guy they put arrest and uh, he has a mustache and it's like the cop and his wife are like swingers kind of thing so they bring him and his wife into the their house that they've arrested and the guy has a mustache or the the police officer has a mustache he's like who wants a mustache ride and oh, the guy's wow. like i do i do oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> um and the only other thing i thought about so they use the de-icing salt Mm-hmm. And I always thought that de-icing salt wasn't like just regular salt. It was actually some kind of had something extra in it. So I don't know if it was really safe for L to be floating in it. Oh, um, good I point. Mean, I hadn't thought of that. I don't. I think that's kind of like. I mean, the show. I don't think it's gonna be like. Oh, and now she broke out in highs because of the de-icing <laughs> salt. But it's one of those things. Is like if you're gonna do a deprivation chamber, you might want to try like just regular table salt or something like that. I don't think a big bag of de-icing salt's the way to go. Probably not. And you know, I am not as smart as these kids or Mr. Clark, so I don't know the chemical compound of table salt versus the de-icing salt that they use on the roads. But that's a very interesting point. There, there could be something very different um, because when you look at the and I don't know if it's just because it's in bulk, like they have the big bags or these trucks full of that salt that they that they lay on the roads. But I know when I see it in the roads versus what I see on my table, um, it's it looks different slightly. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just remembered. So when uh, when Hop and Jonathan are talking about it, you know, Jonathan's like, "Well, what happens if it snows?" <laughs> <laughs> well, worst case, there's no school tomorrow, no school. and you're not going to be mad about that, right? Who didn't want a snow day? So my, yeah, I know I'm an adult and I just miss having snow days. Right? I know. And and I'll tell you what's really bad. It's not just so much when you're an adult, but sometimes, sometimes, like at my old job, because us, lots of us did have to commute, that if, if it was a state of emergency, which didn't happen very often, you know, you could stay at home. And if you were able to fudge it enough, even if it wasn't a state of emergency, if it was really bad, like an ice storm or something, you could be like, you know what? I can't even see my driveway. They haven't cleared my road because, you know, it's kind of in a rural area, small <laughs> yeah. town area. Your roads didn't always get, I mean, the highway probably wasn't even clear, much less the road in front of your house. Um, so sometimes you could fudge it a little bit and, and technically have a snow day. I'll tell you what, I work from home now. You don't get no snow days. Gary, you don't have an excuse because all I got to do is go, go from the bed to my desk and <laughs> there's no <laughs> snow day for that. <laughs> if someone figures one out, um, please write into uh, stranger, strangercast.com. <laughs> please let me know <laughs> if you figured that out. But yeah, you're right. As an adult, we don't get those snow days. Anyway. That's awesome. Did you have anything else in your number two? Nope. That pretty much ties in with yours. The sensory deprivation chamber. Sweet. Yeah, that that whole thing was really great. That whole sequence, everything about it was great. I really liked it, <clears throat> except for the whole middle school thing. I just I think you helped explain it to me a little bit that made me wrap my brain around it. It just kind of at the time I was like, why the middle school? I don't where did the middle school come in? I didn't hear this as part of the plan, but I guess I didn't need to hear that part. Um, my non number one. We've already talked about it. I didn't have too much to say because you already pretty much covered it. And as you mentioned when you were talking about it, that there he wasn't in it too much. But it was Steve's redemption question mark question mark. <laughs> oh, Steve. Steve, Steve the D. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, 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 
I'm conflicted. I don't know if I want to like him or not. I mean, I think he, I do find his character interesting, so I'm not mad about him still being around. I don't wish that he had end up like Barb or anything because I think that his character is interesting and I'm interested to see what's going to happen next with him and what's going to happen with him and Nancy and Jonathan all thrown in the mix now. Um, but I don't really have too much more to say about that whole, you know, things we kind of talked about his feelings for Nancy, his fight with his friends, cleaning up the marquee at the movie theater, which still, I'm still perplexed. Like how, how, how did they get so far? I can see getting a couple letters cause you, they're on a ladder cleaning it up. They had to be on a ladder to put it on there in the first place. So. Yeah. Well, and it's, I don't know, like he would just had a rag too. And I, I think trying to rub that off with off, like spray paint off with just a rag cannot be an easy task. No, I'm hoping that there was some acetone involved or something. Cause that's yeah. about all that's going to take off that paint. Um, so, you know, there, I don't have too much more to say about that because he really wasn't on the screen that much but i think that it was quite a turn for him even though he wasn't mm-hmm. on the screen that very much we definitely got to see quite a turn in his character from what we saw in the beginning of the season start and kind of in the middle ish to where we see him now uh, so i'm kind of interested interested to see how he plays into the next um, final episode of this season and um i'm not mad about him being around i don't know if i'm going to like him yet or not but i'm not mad about him being around still so yeah it's borderline so the d when we first started stand for douchebag but it may turn into steve the decent guy <gasps> oh i never thought i'd hear you say that <laughs> never thought i'd hear you say that but that's okay i'm not mad about it i'm just, <laughs> I'm just surprised that's just that's good awesome. writing <laughs> Yeah, there you go. See, if, if if they can take somebody and make you really, really hate him and want to just smack the shit out of him and then make you turn around and like him, I think that one speaks to the, the actor that's able to do that. And then also, like you said, speaks to the writing. So, A+. plus. So, that was really all I had. I don't have too much to add to what you already did. We pretty much covered it. What is your number one? Because I'm anxious to hear it. So, my number one is Castle Byers. So, yeah. this, I, you know... Eleven finds it, and it seems like it's kind of like a, a mirage type thing, like an optical illusion. Like she's not really there; she can just see it. Mm-hmm. And her kind of like, I think she's kind of like, she, basically, it's almost like she's a radio between the upside down and the real world. But it almost seems that like when we get to the end of this episode, there's Will in Castle Byers, and it's almost like it's his safe sanctuary. Like I love whenever I'm trying to think of like uh, Eternal Sunshine or Eternal Spotless Mind, the Jim Carrey, uh, I think J- Jim Carrey Winona writer. Um, where like people are like in your head kind of thing, and like there's like oh. a safe place in your head. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's really really good. No, um, I I have not. Kind of the synopsis of it is it's a uh, a couple that's breaking up, and there's a a company that'll like erase memories, and so Jim Carrey's like in his brain trying to save his memories because he decides it was a bad idea to do that. Like that's not real spoilery. That's like that's what the movie is. Right. And so there's like safe places and whenever there's kind of like people in like your mind kind of stuff, like when you're in that like fake world type thing, there's always a safe place you go to that's, you know, keeps you safe and protected. And that's kind of what Castle Byers is for Will. And, you know, at the end of it, we see or we hear the monster walking around it. And it reminded me of like the three little pigs, like, you know, he's got this house made of sticks and he feels safe. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden the mon- monster huffs and he puffs. And he oh. blows the house down. And now Castle Byers has been broken into. And what's going to happen? I don't know. 
I was so scared. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I just kind of a cool little thing is like, this is a safe place. And now it's broken into, but you know, it's, it was just kind of neat to have like, this is his, his place. And that's where he was able to be found by, you know, 11 with Joyce's help and Jonathan's help. Right. And it made me wonder as, you know, because it sounded like somewhere in this episode, it was said, I think that from the beginning of the season to where we are now, it's been about a week has transpired. It yeah, I like. think they mentioned it. Something in there was been like a week. Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, that's the time frame that we're kind of working with is seven episodes in so far is about a week. Um, this is how long he's been hiding because he disappeared on the first episode, right at the end of the first episode. Um, so and he, so he's been gone this entire time. And, you know, obviously he's he's found something clever about this place, how he's been able to disguise it and how he's been able to hide from this creature from this long. What was it about this Castle Byers that, you know, um, that it hasn't been able to find him until now? And God, what an intense moment that that was like you could hear. And, and I just I was like so on edge. I was like sitting on the edge of my bed. I had goosebumps and I was like breathing really hard and I was really scared like oh please don't find him please even though I knew it was going to happen because I didn't watch it (laughs) last year but it was still so good and intense that it was like watching it all over again for the first time but I was like oh my god no 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 and you can hear it and you you know he's like oh my god you know he's like trying to breathe really quiet he's trying to be perfectly still so he doesn't make a peep so we can't find him because you know as soon as you make that one little peep it's going to turn around and it's going to know exactly where you are this one makes me think i don't know we don't know anything about this creature except for it's really creepy ass looking it's big and it's got like tons of teeth you know for for days and this huge mouth that opens up and it eats things um but we don't really know anything about it and it's drawn to blood we think um is, is their theory that draw that blood draws it um to it um but we don't know like because it seems like it can't see very well maybe like when Nancy was in the upside down, like it, it's like it, it's didn't really see her. It sensed her. Mm-hmm. So maybe it goes off of like sound and smell. Yeah. I don't know if that's exactly how it works or how it in tuned its senses are and how it feels it out. If it can either smell or if it can kind of see, but maybe it's, you know, um, not clear, you know, maybe it's not like a perfect vision or something, or maybe it's like a heat sensory, like a snake or something, you know, uh, something like that. I don't know. Um, but obviously, it, it seems, you know, to have some disadvantage in that way because Will has been able to hide from it for this long um, successfully. And, it, you know, it wasn't like some strong structure that he was in. You know, he's just in this little made-up made fort that he made. But, God, what a, what a scene. And I jumped. I remember j- <laughs> jumping when that thing comes through the wall. Holy hell. I, that it genuinely scared me all over again. That's what I love about the show because I knew what was going to happen. I've seen it before, um, but it was like seeing it all over again, and it was so intense. I was so caught up in the moment that even knowing what was going to happen, it still got me. So, <laughs> yeah, really good, good point. So, what do you have any uh, other notes from this episode? I have a few notes. So the I mentioned a little bit about, about the cold open. I really love all the cold opens that they have. I'm I'm a lover of cold opens. I mean, X-Files, Breaking Bad, some of my favorite shows in their cold opens, you know, I love them. They really um, intrigue me, and I find them very interesting. So where we talked a little bit about Mike and Elle almost kissing, you know, their moment in the bathroom, 
in his basement as he's cleaning her up and thought it was really sweet. You know, she's kind of super sad, you know, and she's looking at, you know, her shaved head again. She doesn't have her blonde wig anymore, which she thought made her pretty. And he's like, no, you're still pretty, you know, and I thought that was really sweet. Um, Lucas, how he is like barreling on his bike and he's, he's huffing and puffing so hard. He can barely talk and he's talking so fast and he's out of breath and he said, the bad men are coming, the bad men are coming and they can't quite hear him. Yeah. And they're trying mad to- can. Does that mean anything, Does that to, mean you? anything to you? Is that a code word? <laughs> that was so cute. God, I love Dustin. He's so gosh, damn adorable. Um, <laughs> but he's like, the bad men are coming. And then he said, all of them. <laughs> they are all coming it ain't just a couple they're all coming so get the hell out of there um and we see them run out and i had to ask a question because we keep seeing uh throughout several of these episodes mike toting 11 around and did you tote kids on your bike when you were a kid did you and your friends do that no i rode around on one before and it was not like a very safe feel so i've never really tried to do it that much yeah okay i agree i didn't know if it was just me or not because i Anytime I tried to be like the person like riding the bike and steering and stuff and I was toting someone, we were guaranteed a crash because I mm-hmm. <laughs> couldn't get my balance. There was always like they were going this way and I'm going that way and it was a guaranteed crash. So <laughs> and then I'm like you, if I was the one on the back like Eleven was, that that ride just seemed too smooth for me. I mean, it looked like it was just way too smooth as, as he's pedaling away and they're they're going down the street and they're barreling as fast as they can go. And then they're going through these yards and you know it's not super like even ground going through these yards. And it looked like a pretty easy ride. She was just kind of holding onto his shoulders a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have been like gripping on as hard as I could. Um, but it wasn't comfortable for me either whenever I was being the one on, on the back being toted around on a bike. I'm like, screw this, we're going to crash. And um <laughs> I guarantee if I'm on a bike, I'm going to crash and I'm going to wreck because I'm a complete klutz. Um, but I, I just wondered that if because I was like, well, maybe I'm just a big old puss. I mean, I hung out with boys and, and I was a big tomboy. And, but that was one thing that I just couldn't do. So I thought um, maybe that's something you and your friends did and maybe you were more comfortable with it. I was not. Um, I really liked when Elle uh, flipped the van when the, the vans uh, was coming up behind them and then the one that was coming up in front of them. And she got that real intense look on her face and she flipped it in the air and it landed behind them and stopped the other ones from coming after them. That was awesome. Wasn't that badass? That reminded me of, did you ever watch Heroes? No. Um, There was a NBC TV series, Heroes, where... Yes, um, I'm familiar, I haven't watched it. One of the bad guys does something very similar. Yeah, that was a total... um, badass scene and the looks on the boys faces really cracked me up that was something that i thought was i saw a couple times in this episode was when l flipped the van and they're all just like did that just fucking happen and then they're like (laughs) we still gotta go we still gotta go because they can get out of the rain and still kind of chase them and so they they keep going and then we see their faces again whenever hopper's beating the hell out of those government guys when they're at that bus and then you see hopper come in and they're all just going like what the hell you know what the hell just happened and uh, hopper's like let's go Uh, (laughs) let's go let's go so i really like the look on their faces and l flipping the van um mentioned Lucas apologizing to Elle and that whole scene thought that was really touching. We talked about Troy's mom talking down to Huey and Dewey. Um, she just wasn't having it and was stepping all over them. These two clowns. And I think we met Louie. Um, cause I think I saw a third cop that was there outside of Huey and, Huey and Dewey that we keep seeing a lot of. I think there was a third cop that we saw when Hopper was sneaking into the cop station. 
Was it? Yeah, um, yeah, he was kind of like the night cop, basically. Yeah. The night watchman. Yeah, so we got Huey, Dewey, and Louie now. Um, we found this third guy. So, <laughs> um, But I really like that whole scene where Troy's mom is like, she, she seemed like the typical bully mom to me. Like, her boy can do no wrong. Yeah. And uh, totally going to take up for everything that he did. And, you know, he's totally not at fault. Um, I noticed it doesn't... <laughs> There wasn't too much information on it, but I really found interesting that they had there was this book on Will's shelf in his room um, that that they kind of showed just a little bit in, in one of the earlier scenes um, in this episode. And it was a book by Hans Holzer. And that author, he was really well known for his books and studies in the paranormal. Like he authored over 100 books. Oh, wow. Yeah, on the paranormal and ghosts and psychics. And I'm not going to say I believe in any of his stuff or what he wrote or, you know, but he was just really well known in the field. Um, He lived a very long time. Feel free to Google him. His name's Hans Holzer. I think he was Austrian, Um, but he was famous for that. Like he was really well known in the field. I think he did some studies at the Amityville house. I think we've we've all probably heard, yeah, Yeah. the Amityville house. Um, Like I said, whether you give credit to that kind of thing or not, I just found that interesting that that book was there in Will's room. I think it was whenever they were getting the walkie-talkie, whenever they were um, in his room in there. Um, I think that was just about it. We talked about the the lying, the Nancy and Mike lying to each other. Nancy and Jonathan at the station where they were they grabbed their gear to finish what they started. This was at the end, whenever everybody – we saw everybody kind of coming together – that we talked about and everybody having the plan and everybody taking the pieces of what they know. Uh, but then it kind of fell apart at the end because Joyce and Hopper went off because they're like, well, we know where we got to go. Uh, we're going. So they separate and they get caught at the facility. Nancy and Jonathan, Nancy's really shaken up about the news about Barb and she's determined to kill this creature. She's like, I want to finish what we started. So they, um, sneak into the station and grab their gear. So all this stuff is happening. It's like, where the hell do we go from here? We only have one more episode left. I don't know if we're going to get that or not. So those are my notes. What are your notes? So for my notes, uh, so a couple things. Um, so the episode I noticed was written not by the Duffer brothers. I think there's been a few of them, mm-hmm. but it was kind of interesting that this is their creation. They directed this episode, mm-hmm. um, but it was written by somebody else. I know, I know they always have a bunch of writers, um, yeah. And I'm sure a lot of it's just kind of the the credit piece of it. So kind of the back end, you know, they probably helped or whatnot. But um, mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting that this is their creation, giving one of these big, you know, end episodes to somebody else to write. Yeah. Um, as the government was carrying away some of the stuff from uh, Mike's house, the board game that was Dungeons and Dragon Dungeon was uh, like on display. So I thought that was kind of interesting. It seemed like the focus hmm. on that word Interesting. I saw them carrying out that game. I didn't really pay that much attention to that standing out, though, but that's interesting. Let's see. And the last thing I had, it's kind of, um, I don't know if he's done it throughout the whole season. This might be the first time I caught it, but Jonathan seems to have a very nervous tick where he'll bite his fingers. Um, huh. It's kind of a nervous tick that I have. It's It's really hard to break, so I don't know if it's the actor himself, actually, or there's something to this, but we know that this creature is attracted to blood, and if you have that nervous tick, sometimes you can bite your fingers too much and cause yourself to bleed just a little bit. Oh. So I'm wondering if that's going to be some cause for concern if, you know, he's nervous, he's out in the woods, and he's gnawing on his hand a little bit, and all of a sudden 
you know, mm-hmm. creature smells some blood, blood in the water, Sniff, monster in the water. <laughs> sniffing it out. Yeah, good point. That's I did not pick up on that at all. That's a really good observation. But yep, that's pretty much all the notes I had. Nice. Well, that's awesome. I I don't think I've got anything else I need to say about this episode. I mean, I I, I think we covered it pretty well, but there's probably some other things that we could we could probably just talk about. Like I said, I could talk about Hopper. We just um, have a whole episode and <laughs> just have it called the Hopper episode. Um, Instead of the Lost episode, it'll be the Hopper episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dedicated uh, to David Harbour. And then I'm going to tweet it out to him and that'll be um, our happily ever after. But um, awesome. So we'll move on. We're going to talk a little bit about our current sponsor for Freshly. So... We got some really awesome Freshly meals and were able to try them out. And the really cool thing about Freshly is they're they're healthy meals delivered fresh. They're not frozen. So that really impresses me that they're packaged really nicely, but they're fresh um, and very convenient. They're always made with all natural ingredients, which is really important to me because I read the labels. When I go, I take forever at the grocery store whenever I'm shopping because I read the labels. I I get in people's way or I block something in the aisle because I'm standing (laughs) there reading the labels. So it's important to me to be able to know that there's natural ingredients and to actually know what I'm eating because I care about um, what I'm consuming most of the time. Forget about those times when I'm eating the Twizzlers. Um, But um, I, you know, I care about the ingredients. The dinner is ready in like three minutes or less. And that could not be more perfect for me because I'm super lazy by nature. I can cook. I can cook. I'm not a bad cook. I'm a, a pretty good cook, not a gourmet, but I'm a pretty good cook. But I just don't like to spend the time anymore to to cook. And so having something ready in three minutes is, is pretty awesome. Uh, you know, I get off of work, come home from the gym. And instead of just grabbing something easy and convenient, because it takes time to cook. If you if you're anybody who's healthy and lives a healthy lifestyle, you know it's it's so hard to grab something quick, you know, uh, to eat that's nutritional and is is healthy for you. But this is so easy because it is so fast and it's all healthy ingredients. So the one meal that I had that that I really really liked that I was able to try was the sausage and peppers that I had on my meal. And oh my gosh, I'm a sucker for sausage and peppers. So I was really, when I saw this on their menu options, I, that was like my first choice. I was like, I have to try this, but I looked at it and not only was it sausage and peppers, but it came with cauliflower rice. Have you ever had cauliflower <laughs> uh, rice, Sean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. A few so. times. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll admit I was a little bit worried because I thought, well, I know I'm going to love the sausage and peppers because to me, you can't go wrong with that. But I saw the cauliflower rice and I thought, oh boy, I was like, well, you know what? You've been wanting to try it and this has to be good because, you know, if it's, if it's bad, then the sausage and peppers are going to, you know, um, help with that. Right. So, but it was so good. It was good. I was really surprised, very pleasantly surprised about how good this was. It did not taste like cauliflower. Cause I don't like cauliflower. I don't, I don't eat it. It's disgusting. Um, but I had this, whatever seasonings that they used, it was delicious. I had no idea I was eating cauliflower, so props to Freshly for whatever the, whatever you did in this meal that made cauliflower taste like heaven. Um, I really like this one because it was low-cal, low-carb. It's even paleo, folks, for anyone who's following a paleo diet, which I really love. It's also gluten-free, 
Um, so they have, that's what's really awesome about this is they have all of these options depending on if you have a gluten allergy or if you're just doing a gluten-free diet um, or if you are following a special diet, they have those, um, you know, special points. So, you know, I really love that they make it eating, you know, healthy, easy, and it makes it easy for the whole family. And the meal quality really blew me away. I wasn't expecting to love that cauliflower rice, but I was willing to try and I came out loving it. So um, I would suggest anyone giving this a try. Um, you can save an hour by having one of their fully prepared healthy meals for dinner tonight. And you can do that by using our code STRANGE. And you'll get $20 off of your first order and $20 off of your second order. And I'm telling you, you can't beat that. Yeah, so uh, excited to have them as a sponsor. So thanks, Freshly. Thanks, Freshly. Okay, so we've got some news from the Upside Downs. Um, Sean, you want to kick this one off? Yep, so we will start with our first article from Variety. So Netflix expects to release around 80 original films next year as it looks to hit the kind of scale in movies that is achieved on the TV side. According to Chief Content Officer Ted Sarandos, they range anywhere from million-dollar Sundance hit all the way up to something on a much larger scale, like Will Smith starring in Bright, which I am excited for. That movie looks awesome. Yeah. Sarando said that Netflix targets for original movies next year compared with a 2017 slate of about 50 film titles that it has released or is scheduled to debut globally. Those include comedies, dramas, anime, action movies, foreign films, and documentaries. Regarding Disney's decision to end its movie output deal with Netflix with 2019 releases, Sarando said, We just have to focus on creating content that our members can't live without. Whether or not one of our partners decides to produce for us or compete with us, that's really a choice that they have to make based on their own business. So if you are wondering about the price hikes for subscribers, if you are wondering about the price hike for subscribers, now you know. <laughs> yep, because that was in the news last week. Was they yeah. they raised um the subscription price up a dollar. So now you know what your money's going to, folks. <laughs> well, you look at the price of a movie, like that Bright movie, like that's that's a movie that would be in theaters. Yeah. So, you know, they're putting out, they said 70 plus. I mean, that's seven movies a month. If there's only three that you see, I mean, that your your Netflix account, account would pay for a, a movie. Exactly. And you because, get three of them. Yeah, that's, it really is a lot of content for what you're paying. Like you said, these are, are major motion pictures. It's not just like Stranger Things and Orange is the New Black and different things that they have, you know, available on Netflix as far as original content. These are real movies, you know, like what you would see in the movie theater. So the fact that you're going to have these available right now um, and, and have them on Netflix available to watch any time. Um, and I'm not getting paid by Netflix people at all. So don't think that I'm, like, <laughs> I'm not getting paid. But it's it's really doesn't really sound that bad when you put it into that kind of perspective. So, But Netflix, if you're looking for an official Stranger Things podcast, we're totally on board. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They're not paying us. But if you if you want to. <laughs> we won't say no. <laughs> I'm not going to say no. <laughs> okay, so the next article we have is from The Hollywood Reporter. So the latest trend to sweep the fashion industry, Netflix's Stranger Things, apparently. A Stranger Things graphic tee featuring the show's preteen stars, who are quite fashionable by themselves, by the way, made its way down the Louis Vuitton runway in Paris a few weeks ago. Though sadly, the hot horror tea won't be produced and sold, the spooky 80s set thriller is getting the fast fashion treatment, inking a deal with Topshop. 
Through their new partnership, Topshop and Topman will stock a 28-piece capsule collection of Stranger Things-themed merch, arriving in select stores in the UK and online October 20th, according to WWW, WWD. Sorry. Additionally, Topshop and Topman will host special screenings of the first two episodes at the London flagship the day before the official Season 2 release. According to Hastings, Stranger Things merch is also doing well at Target, yay Target, <laughs> which stocks themed backpacks, lunch boxes, action figures, and yes, an ugly red sweater available for $33. Just in time for Christmas season, ugly, ugly Christmas sweaters. Ugly Christmas sweater. It's a thing now. It's like popular to wear them now, so... Go check that out. I, I think I didn't get to see a picture of it, but I think it's themed similar to how Joyce has the letters written on her living room wall with the Christmas lights. Oh, that's awesome. I think there's a sweater that looks like that, folks. Who doesn't want one of those for Christmas? And again, I'm not getting paid by Target or by Stranger Things <laughs> by promoting the merch, but it sounds like fun. <laughs> Our last article comes from The Verge. So one of the unexpected delights of Stranger Things first season was its soundtrack provided by Texas Bath. Texas-based synth duo Survive. The band is returning to score the show's second season, and the soundtrack will be available digitally on October 20th, a week before Seasons 2 starts streaming. So it should be available now. So Spin debuted the opening song of the soundtrack yesterday, a synth track called Walkin' in Hawkins. And the rest of the 34-song track list teases out some intriguing hints about what to expect in the coming season with titles such as Eulogy, Descent from the Rift, Symptoms, The Return, and more. The album will be released on CD, vinyl, and cassette tape at a later date. Yes. (laughs) So fans' reaction to the Season 1 soundtrack seemed to have caught Netflix by surprise, and shortly after the show debuted, the streaming service announced that it would release the soundtrack due to demand from the viewers. The score from Lakeshore Records arrived online in August in two volumes and was later made available in cassette and vinyl editions. Woohoo for vinyl. And cassette, <laughs> and cassette. yes. Get that Dude, old boombox out. How how are we going to play them? <laughs> I, <can't. laughs> I don't know anybody that owns a cassette player. My cassette player was like ate up a long time ago. It bit the dust. <laughs> <laughs> if you had, That's where if you had one working, you'd sell like your cassette player and those cassettes on like eBay for like $10,000. Yeah, they're going to start going like selling on the black market just so we can play these <laughs> cassettes oh my gosh i love it i love it um more 80s nostalgia can't get enough of it so now we have some letters from the upside down we have some listener feedback which we always love and appreciate so the first one that we have is from andrew newton he says love the bus scene where we hear hopper get things done off screen like it's no big deal I'm convinced he would be played by either Harrison Ford or Kurt Russell if this had been made in the 80s. Also, will Mike and Nancy ever stop lying to each other? (laughs) (laughs) Good question, Andrew. I don't know. And I really like your, um, you know, if if Hopper Hopper would have been played by Harrison Ford or Kurt Russell. I think that's, I could definitely see Kurt Russell. I could buy it. That'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. He'd like do double takes while people are watching the thing. That would be weird, right? (laughs) Hey, that guy looks really familiar. (laughs) Kristen Hall. So Nancy and Mike resolve their petty sibling differences and vow never to lie to each other again. Literally the next thing out of their mouths are lies about how they feel about Jonathan and Eleven. (laughs) Good observation, Kristen. I agree. Wendy Ott Eppers says, 
It's just so good. I'm so glad you started a podcast on this, which spurred me to watch. The last couple episodes just get better and better. Jillian Moreau. So the episode was excellent. Love the way Hopper swoops in and gets them out of there. Dustin calling Mr. Clark while he was at home on a date late on a Saturday night was hilarious. And the fact that he got exactly what he needed from him. I wish I had a teacher like that back in the day. The whole bathtub scene with Eleven, I felt so bad for it having Joyce hold on to her for reassurance was so sweet. God, I just love this show. <laughs> That's great. Steve Brown says, great lead up to the finale. I jumped again at the very end. Steve is still a D until he asks forgiveness. Now he just feels bad. Loved the best scene with the kids. Good point there, Steve. Mm. I, yeah, I think he does need to ask forgiveness. What do you think? That's a good Sean? point. Yeah, I think yeah. he's got to say sorry. And if you know, if he comes back and says, "Listen, I was Steve the D. I am a D. I want to be, <laughs> you know, Steve the. He's growing on me." <laughs> we got an email from Danielle Semino. So I was listening to Chapter Five and never realized until this episode that float trips were so redneck. Even though I have been going on these in Indiana, of course, for about twelve years. <laughs> My friend's mom even did a float ship on a queen-size air mattress. <laughs> Not sure how I didn't figure that out. Love the podcast. Hashtag justice for Danielle. Or justice for Barb from Danielle. P.S. You guys have pointed out so many things that I wouldn't have noticed before for this. I thank you. Aw, thanks, Danielle. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> air mattress. That's awesome. Well, you know, you want to float or take a nap. It's dual purpose. You know what? I think... Um, that's brilliant. <laughs> so, Danielle, thank uh, your friend's mom for me for um, doing that and then letting us know about it because I think the next time I do something like that, um, that's how it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have my little cooler tied to the side of it. And, yeah, if I just feel like taking a nap, floating down the lake, the river, wherever I happen to be. That's awesome. Thank you guys so much for writing in. We always appreciate the feedback. I love the insight that you guys have. So please, please keep writing in. Let us know what you think. There's only one more episode to go of the season, so I think there's going to be lots to, to talk about and lots of um, different perspectives and insights. So thank you all so much for writing in. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, everybody. So uh, we'll be changing our release schedule up a little bit, but for Next week, we'll be releasing our eighth and final episode for season one titled Chapter 8, The Upside Down. So next Friday, October 27th, is when season two starts. So we're going to release this episode on Tuesday, October 24th. The description for season one's Chapter 8, the, ups, is the Upside Down, is Joyce and Hopper are taken in for questioning. Nancy and Jonathan prepare to fight the monsters and save Will. So then, since Reem and I are so pumped for season two, we will be watching and releasing our review of the first episode of season two on October 27th, the day it comes out. <laughs> but with every good thing, there's a little bit of a bad thing. So the following Friday, with Walker Stalker going on, which Reem will be at, and me, I will be in the sun enjoying a few cocktails as I'll be on vacation so we'll be skipping the following week but we'll be right back to take on episode 2 from season 2 on November 10th 
Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Um, we're all going to be super jealous of Sean and his awesome beach vacation <laughs> while we're all in the cold, fall, damp weather. But that's okay because I'm going to be spending the weekend, um, as you said, at Walker Stalker Atlanta, um, having a great time with everyone from The Walking Dead and that whole group and um, getting to meet a bunch of people. And so um, – I, I won't be too envious. I'll be a little bit envious when I get back and you're still soaking up the sun. And that's okay. <laughs> but that's you okay. might have to, I'll be prepared because I'll probably be in a self-induced upside down at some point. <laughs> you will. You're, we're going to need something to get you out of your vacation stupor so we can talk about the show. <laughs> that's awesome. So thanks everyone for being really patient with us. We really appreciate, you know, everyone, um, you know, being understanding about, you know, unforeseen circumstances as to why we're going to have a little bit of a delay uh, releasing the second episode of the second season. Uh, but we promise as soon as everyone's back from their trips, we will be on that and um, we'll have it available as soon as we are able to. So we're super excited to have you travel to Hawkins, Indiana with us. And until then, you can follow us on Twitter at StrangeTCast. You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash StrangerTCast. You can email us at StrangerThingsCastPod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the TV Time app. You can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts like The Walking Dead Cast at Podcastica.com. Be sure to check them out because next week, this Sunday... Season eight of Walking Dead starts up. Woohoo! So go out and leave a review for Strange Indeed or any of the other great podcastica podcasts on Apple Podcast. Make sure to check out Sean on his other podcast. <gasps> what? <laughs> the Language of Bromance, which comes out every Sunday. All right. Well, that's our show. Episode seven, chapter seven, The Bathtub. Until next time, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And Steve Brown is strange indeed. I, I, I don't understand. You think my son is hiding this girl? What happened to her hair? We just need to know if you've seen her in the past week. No, well, no. Absolutely not. Our son with a girl? I mean, believe me, if he had a girl sleeping in this house, we'd know about it. Wouldn't we?